As we were singing, I had a picture of a courtroom come to mind where the bailiff calls out to the people in the courtroom, all rise for the honorable, and everybody needs to stand. I don't care what your position is, what your feelings are towards the judge. You stand when the judge walks in the room, and as we were singing that last song, just heard all rise for the honorable savior of the world, the king of heaven and earth. And my heart was full at the thought of who God is and what he's done and who we are in him. It's a, a big thought to try and wrap our minds around. And I don't feel like we're going to do it justice on this morning. But I pray that we sit in the thought of who Jesus is and what he's done. I can identify with what Zach shared on this morning. I believe it's the same thing that Isaiah communicated. The mouthpiece of God gets into the presence of the holy. And he calls himself a man of unclean lips. Surrounded by a people of unclean lips. This is the prophet of God. But what do you say when you see the holiness of God? Your best day is black compared to the pure holiness of God. And so what do you say when you stand and share the word of God? Like, Lord, I don't have much of anything to offer. But I'm so grateful that a gracious and merciful God would choose to use people to do his awesome and mighty work. And that's my prayer on this morning as we are going to be in Exodus 30. You could turn there if you have your Bibles, is that God would use feeble and frail people to do something that only he can do, touch our hearts and change our lives. Before we read the scriptures and look to unpack it, I ask that you would join me in a word of prayer. Please pray for me and pray with me as we're trusting God to move on this morning. Father, we humbly come before your throne of grace with gratitude in our hearts that you, the creator of all things, who needs nothing, would demonstrate your love for us by sending your only son to die for our sins, to make atonement for our unrighteousness, and that we now have the joy of being sons and daughters of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, we don't want this truth to fall on deaf ears on this morning, for this unfathomable truth to seemingly be dullened or old news. But you would you open our hearts and minds on this morning that we might be captivated by your glory in awe of your holiness and devoted followers because of your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Exodus chapter 30. You shall make an altar on which to burn incense. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length and a cubit its breadth. It shall be square and two cubits shall be its height. Its horns shall be of one piece with it. You shall overlay it with pure gold 
its top and around its sides and its horns. And you shall make a molding of gold around it. And you shall make two gold rings for it. Under its molding on two opposite sides of it, you shall make them. And they shall be holders for poles with which to carry it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put it in front of the veil that is above the ark of the testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony, where I will meet with you. And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. Every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it, a regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer unauthorized incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering. And you shall not pour a drink offering on it. Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year. With the blood of the sin offering of atonement, he shall make atonement for it once in the year throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, when you take the census of the people of Israel, then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, that there be no plague among them when you number them. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this, half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is 20 geras, half a shekel as an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered in the census from 20 years old and upward shall give the Lord's offering. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than the half shekel when you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives. You shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting, that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord so as to make atonement for your lives." The Lord said to Moses, you shall also make a basin of bronze with its stands of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it, with which Aaron and his son shall wash their hands and their feet. When they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water so that they may not die. They shall wash their hands and their feet so that they may not die. It shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his offspring throughout their generations. The Lord said to Moses, take the finest spices of liquid myrrh 500 shekels and of sweet-smelling cinnamon half as much, that is 250, and 250 of aromatic cane, and 500 of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hen of olive oil. And you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil blended as by the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the table and all its utensils and the lampstand and its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the basin and its stand. And you shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them will become holy. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. And you shall say to the people of Israel, This shall be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on the body of any ordinary person. And you shall make no other like it in composition. It is holy. 
and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it or whoever puts any of it on any outsider shall be cut off from his people. The Lord said to Moses, take sweet spices, stack tea, and anica, and galbanum, sweet spices with pure frankincense. Of each shall there be an equal part, and make an incense blended as by the perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. You shall beat some of it very small, and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting where I shall meet with you. It shall be most holy for you. And the incense that you shall make according to its composition, you shall not make for yourselves. It shall be for you holy to the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to use as perfume shall be cut off from his people. This is the word of the Lord. The word of God is good all by itself. Before we jump into chapter 30 and look to unpack the truths in this precious text, I want to give a quick overview of the last 29 chapters that we've gone over dating back to January. To catch some of you up who haven't been with us and to refresh the minds of all of us because I imagine some of us can't remember what was preached the second Sunday in January. (coughs) So, very quick, it'll be a couple of minutes tops. The children of Israel are in Egypt and they're taken into slavery. They spend four centuries in slavery and they cry out to the Lord because they need help. The Lord raises up a servant in Moses and sends Moses back because he ran from Egypt initially, sends Moses back to Egypt to set his people free. And after 10 significant signs, the Lord encourages greatly Pharaoh to let his people go, and Pharaoh obliges. The children of Israel are now wandering through the wilderness on their way to the promised land, and they come to the mountain of God, which is where we find them today. And at the mountain of God, God himself speaks these rules. We call them the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel. They can't handle it. They ask Moses to be an intermediary. Moses goes and gets the rest of the rules that the children of Israel will have to follow to be in relationship with their creator. And he also gets the rewards that come with being in relationship with their creator. And so the children of Israel agree to sign off on this covenant, and they enter into a covenant relationship with God. And then the Lord calls Moses up to the mountain that's surrounded by a devouring fire, or so it looks, the presence of the Lord, to get these instructions. And that's where we've been for the last six weeks. Moses gets instructions to build a sanctuary, a sacred place, so that God might dwell with his people. He gets instructions to build the tabernacle, to build the furniture, and also to appoint servants that will serve in this sanctuary, this sacred place. And now we come to chapter 30, where we see the Lord giving the last few instructions for this sacred space. He gives the last instructions for the last piece of furniture that will go in the tabernacle. He gives instructions for the last piece that will conclude the building of the tabernacle. And he gives the last piece that will go outside of the tabernacle in the court of the tabernacle. And there's a lot that we can glean from these last few instructions. Moses starting to wind down his 40 days in the presence of God. And we see the last furniture piece that the Lord gives Moses instructions to build. It's this altar on which he is to burn incense. It's about a foot and a half by a foot and a half by three feet tall. So it's a box. 
And on this box, the Lord tells Moses not just how to build it, how to overlay it with gold. He also gives him instructions on how it's to be used. And he tells Moses that every morning and every twilight, so twice a day, regularly, there's to be an incense offering. And this is a required contribution that the Lord is telling his people that they have to bring to him. But this is one of three things that the Lord has required the children of Israel to do on a daily basis. It was this altar of incense where they burn incense regularly. And then there was also a regular burnt offering that they were to bring. That's talked about a little bit more in chapter 29 of Exodus. And they were to daily bring this burnt offering. And that offering was to be a food offering a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And then as we just read, every morning Aaron and his sons are to dress the lamp that was in the tabernacle, and at twilight they were to dress the lamp. So regularly there was this routine that God had established for his people, a ritual, if you will, so that they can worship him daily. And now this regular offering was to serve as a reminder to the people of God. When they would give the burnt offering, this food offering, a pleasing aroma, it would remind them of the fellowship that they have with their creator. Every morning and every night, they would dress the lamps. It would be a reminder that the presence of the Lord was with the people continually. And then when they would burn this incense, like a sweet-smelling fragrance unto the Lord, it would be a reminder that their creator is worthy of worship. And so the Lord institutes this routine for the purposes of his people remembering who he is and who they are in him. But that's not the only way that the altar of the incense is to be used. This altar of incense, the scripture says, also to have atonement made on his horn once a year. Verse 10 of chapter 30 tells us, With the blood of the sin offering of atonement, he, Aaron, shall make atonement for it once in the year throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. This word atonement means cover over, amend for sins. Propitiation is another word that's used to translate this word atonement. To propitiate means to win or to regain the favor of God by doing something that pleases him. And so the Lord is letting Aaron, Moses, the people of Israel know that they need to make atonement. And this now is not a daily Routine. This here is an annual sacrifice that's to be made before the Lord on behalf of the people. Atonement is to be made. Leviticus tells us a little bit more about this sin offering. For me, it's a good day when you could turn to Leviticus in a sermon, uh, not just because Leviticus is oftentimes the stopping point of anybody's Bible reading plan, but because I sincerely believe that you cannot fully appreciate the sacrifice of Jesus Christ if you do not understand the sacrificial system. And so I'm going to do, again, no justice to the sacrificial system. If you ever have gotten to the point of halfway through Leviticus and you stop because you were feeling like, man, there are no cows, bulls, goats, or sheep, please just press through and finish reading Leviticus. It does a beautiful job of helping us to better appreciate the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and what that truly means to the life of the believer. But in the short few fleeting moments that we have, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would just do a work in our hearts that would captivate our minds and souls. So this atonement from the sin offering that's to be made annually, Leviticus 16, I'm going to just read a couple of sections. Please, again, go back and read that whole chapter later on this week. 
here starting at verse 6. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. And then if you go back again later this week, reading through verses 11 through 28, you'll see how intricate this process was to be. It's really a beautiful process, and it gives, again, a great picture of the holiness of God. We'll jump down to verse 29 and read through verse 24. And it, this sin offering, shall be a statute to you forever, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work. Either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you. And you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary. He shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priest and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. So here we see this sin offering. This annual offering, the blood from this sin offering is to be brought into the holy place and is to be put on the altar of incense. And then again, if you read through the rest of the chapters, taken into the most holy place and sprinkled before the mercy seat as well. And again, there's a full process of the people of Israel being atoned for. But something that I want us to, to be clear on is how God graciously provides a process so that his people might stay in relationship with him. Now, see, before we forget the full picture, remember how the people of God got to the foot of the mountain of God and how they got to the place of being in relationship with God. It wasn't because they were perfect. It wasn't because they deserved it. It was because of God's grace and his mercy that the children of Israel found themselves at the foot of the mountain of God. And here now, God being in relationship with his people. This is not a caveat to say, and do these things if you're going to be in relationship with me. He says, because you're in relationship with me, these are some things you need to do. And now the children of Israel have already made some messy uh, decisions going through the wilderness back when they were freed from Egypt. And before even coming off the mountain, we'll see in a couple of weeks that they made some more poor decisions. So the Lord, understanding the frame of the people before they even solidify the relationship, he's already providing a process by which they can be cleaned from all of their sins. And the holy things that are being built and used in worship of him can be cleaned as well. So this is a demonstration of God's grace that there would be an annual sacrifice. Albeit required, God would 
provide this process so that his people might remain clean. I shared with my uh, daughter yesterday that we should not require of ourselves and of others that which God does not require of us. And something that encouraged me as I was reading this word and meditating on it throughout the week, while I'm not one who wants to continue in sin, while I don't even want to make a mistake, what I see here is that God, while he could have, in his infinite wisdom, said, hey, these are the rules and these are the rewards if you're going to be in relationship with me. If you're going to be in relationship with me, you have to be perfect. And if you mess up on any of these rules, cut off, done, agreements over. No, God looks and says, I know your frame, feeble and frail. It's not you might mess up. You are going to mess up. And I'm going to provide a process that's going to allow you to remain in relationship with me because if I don't, you're going to be cut off. So there's this atonement sacrifice that's done annually so that the people can be cleansed from all of their sins, all of their transgressions. But that wasn't the only sacrifice that the children of Israel were required to bring. Here we see going down in chapter 30, looking at verse 11, the Lord tells the people that they must bring a ransom for their life, a half shekel. Doesn't matter how much you have or how little you have. Everybody has to bring a half shekel. And this is called the Lord's offering. It's an atonement for the lives of the people. And the Lord says in verse 16 of chapter 30, you shall take the atonement money, this ransom, the Lord's offering, from the people of Israel and shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord so as to make atonement, covering over, amending for their sins, atonement for your lives. So here there's a, a ransom, a one-time payment that needed to be made by the people of God. And this ransom was going to be used in the service of the tent of meeting. Now, again, time won't allow me to turn there, but if you later on in the week go and look at Exodus 38, you'll see how this ransom money, this atonement money was to be used. This atonement money was silver, and this silver, if you might remember, was going to be the frame, was going to be used as the basis for the frames and for the four pillars that were going to hold up the veil that separated the most holy place from the holy place. So in other words, this ransom that was being required that was going to serve in the tent of meeting that was going to bring the people before the Lord in remembrance to make atonement for their lives was going to be the foundation of the tabernacle, the foundation of the dwelling place of God. There's a lot of places my mind is going, but I'm going to stay on track and, and we'll get there in just a moment. But that just to me was the, the milk and, and honey for this week, I just was sitting in that at the thought that the Lord now says the foundation is going to be built on the atonement for the lives of the people. And something different about this particular piece of the tabernacle from all of the other pieces was that this contribution was required. If you were numbered by the people in the people of God, you had to pay this ransom money. If you might remember, all other contributions were to be a free will offering. 
The Lord said that you can bring a contribution as your heart moves you. Bring whatever you like, the gold, the fine twine linen, all of the other pieces, if your heart moves you. This piece required, the foundation was a required ransom by the people of God. And this ransom, again, is the atonement money to regain favor with God, the covering of our sins. But not everybody had to pay the ransom money. It says in verse 14, everyone who is numbered in the census. But numbers tells us that not everybody was numbered in the census. Some people were exempt from the atonement money. Now, why were they exempt? Because they were already clean. They were already considered holy and righteous before God, and they didn't need to have their lives ransomed. They didn't need to pay the price in order to maintain a right relationship with God. Well, Numbers gives us a little bit more insight as to who was exempt and why they were exempt. Chapter 1, verse 47. But the Levites were not listed along with them, all of the other tribes of the nation of Israel, by their ancestral tribe. For the Lord spoke to Moses saying, only the tribe of Levi you shall not list. And you shall not take a census of them among the people of Israel. But appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony. And over all its furnishings. And over all that belongs to it. They are to carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings, and they shall take care of it and shall camp around the tabernacle. So the Levites were not required to make this payment. They were exempt from making the payment, the atonement money, for their lives. But the reason why was because God was claiming the Levitical tribe for himself. So in other words, they were going to have to leverage their entire life in the service of the tent of meeting. And we just read some of the responsibilities that they were to have. So they didn't have to give a half shekel, which a half shekel in that day was two days wages. And while that may seem a little insignificant, let me just paint the picture before we go and continue on and talk about the Levitical tribe and the priest. Remember the people of Israel. They had been in slavery for over 400 years. So while two days' wages may not sound like a lot of money for most of us, they had no money. They had spent the last 400-plus years not getting a moment of a wage, much less a day of a wage. And see, and this is the part where as I begin to understand more the, the annual atonement and this ransom, I say, wait, well, then where did they get the money from? in order to be able to pay this ransom. God required the ransom, but God also gave them the resources for the ransom. It's like, hey, I want to borrow a dollar. Here's a thousand. I don't know if I can give you a dollar. I just gave you a thousand. <clears throat> You're not going to give me back one? I mean, God gave them all of these resources, and then though he requires the ransom, they're giving from the resources that God has already given to them. What grace and mercy. God didn't say, go get a job, figure it out, and then come back to me. He says, no, I have blessed you abundantly. And now, I've given you a lifetime of wages, two days' wages for the ransom. 
So just in case we start to feel like, man, can you require that? Well, God gives it all already. He's only telling you to give back to him what he is giving you to steward for him. So these priests, though, they are exempt, but they're not excused. They're not exempt because they are perfect. They are exempt because they are going to leverage their lives in the service of the tent of meeting. And we see this as we continue and look at this bronze basin, the basin that this last piece that was going to be in the court of the tabernacle. The priests had to wash themselves. This washing was a cleansing, a washing off of filth. So it was a ceremonial cleansing for washing of sin. And so even though Aaron and his sons were appointed and anointed, to serve in the tent of meeting. The scriptures say that before they can serve in the tent or before they can go to the altar, they still had to cleanse themselves. So even though their lives were leveraged, the Lord says, if you're going to come before me, you still have to come before me a certain way. You have to be clean. And because all of us are human, we are not clean in and of ourselves. So even the priest and his household had to give an annual sacrifice and present that before presenting a sacrifice for the people of God. So we begin to see as we look at these last three pieces that God has a requirement of his people, how they are to live before him and how they are to live for him. There's this atonement that has to be made because a holy God cannot be in the presence of sin. But again, there's this grace and this mercy that we see from this holy and loving God who provides a process by which we can be in relationship with him continually. And now as we think through who Jesus is and what he has done, and just with that little snapshot of all of the bulls and the goats that had to die, and the money that had to be given in order for the foundation of the tabernacle to be laid. And even that the high priest and the other priest could not just go into the presence of God without cleansing themselves of their filth. One can pause and say, thank you, God, for Jesus Christ. Because when was the last time that you paid a census tax. When were you required to give your two days wages so that you can have a firm foundation in the presence of God? When was the last time that we killed a bull or goats so that we can clean off our sin? Who stopped at the bronze basin on the way in to bathe themselves before they came into the sanctuary? No one. We walk into this gathering of believers knowing that we don't have much to offer. But understanding that because of God's grace and his mercy, the blood of Jesus is sufficient. And so I don't have to go and get my bull, my goat, my ram, my lamb. I bathe because I want to be a little bit clean, but it wasn't a ceremonial cleansing so that I could come into this space. But I understand now how precious the blood of Jesus must be. And the scriptures let us know that this is what Jesus intended. So it's not something that we need to feel bad for or apologize for. Jesus said this was the very purpose for which he came. As Jesus was having a conversation with his disciples, Mark and Matthew captured this conversation. They were a little mistaken on what it looked like to be a leader under the reign of Jesus Christ. They were trying to figure out who's going to be the boss 
And Jesus said, stop. We don't do it like the Gentiles. Let me give you some understanding. Whoever is going to be the greatest of the, of the bosses, if you will, is going to be the chief of servants. And Jesus closes it out with this statement so that they can catch a clue here. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man, God the Son, came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus saw his own life as a ransom, the atonement money, if you will. The way in which we can regain or win favor with God by doing something that pleases him. Jesus said, I am the sacrifice that will please the Father so that you can be atoned and have relationship with him. John says it in 1 John that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. And not just our sins, but the sins of the whole world. So in other words, Jesus' sacrifice once and for all was good for all. But yet here Jesus is saying that his life is a ransom for many. Well, if he was the propitiation, the pleasing payment to the Father on behalf of all, why not then for all? Why for many? Because in order to receive and experience the benefits of this sacrifice, this ransom that Christ paid, Jesus said you have to come to him. You have to follow him. You can be exempt from making the ransom payment yourself. You can be exempt from having to give the atonement money because Christ has paid the price. But in order to accept the entry fee, Christ's payment, you have to come to him. So like the high priest Though you could be anointed and appointed because of the blood of Jesus Christ, you still need to come correct if you're going to come to Jesus. So before we think that the ransom, the sacrifice of Jesus means that, oh, well, now we have grace. I could do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. And then when I feel good and ready, I'll come to Jesus and say, okay, now I'm ready to serve you and I'm ready to follow you. No. If we understand the weight, the gravity of the requirements, these commanded contributions, you are to annually bring this sin, this sin offering. You are to regularly come and remind yourselves that I'm worthy of worship. And you are to pay this ransom. And you are to continually cleanse yourself before coming into the service of the tent of meeting. If we could understand the gravity of this to the point that God says, if you don't Cleanse yourself to the priest, you will die. Say, like, okay, water first, then get dressed, then come in. Got it. But I'm going to make sure I bathe. But we can't just take that and now say, but that was then. But now God is a God of grace. No, no. He's always been a God of grace. You can't read through Leviticus and not see a God of grace. You can't read through Exodus and not see a God of grace. So this same gracious and merciful God still has requirements for us today. If we're going to accept the payment of Jesus Christ, Jesus says this is what it looks like to receive his payment in full. In Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. 
Now great crowds accompanied him, him being Jesus. And he turned and said to them, the great crowd, if anyone comes to me, and say comes to me and accepts my payment, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king? going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has, cannot be my disciple. Jesus, these are the words of Christ as recorded by Luke, says that if you are going to come to him, if you are going to receive the ransom that he paid and not have to stand before God on your own merit, if you're going to be a disciplined follower of Christ, he says you have to hate everyone else even your own life. Now, let's understand real quick before someone says, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. Christ is using hyperbole here, and he does this from time to time when he's talking to a large crowd because Jesus knew that these great crowds weren't just following him because they believed that he was the Christ. He was doing a lot of healing, and a couple of times he even fed the crowds. Coming because they wanted to be healed, they wanted to have their way right away. And so they were following Jesus for different reasons other than him being the son of God and submitting to him as their Lord and Savior. And so Jesus every now and then throws out a hyperbole like another time where he says, you have to eat my body and drink my blood. And it says that disciples left him. And then he looks at the other, the, the 12 that would become apostles and say, well, what are you all going to do? He said, I don't know what you're talking about. Sure that we'll understand it better in just a little while, but you have the words of life, <clears throat> so we're going to stay with you, right? And so Jesus throws this out every now and then. So what Jesus is really communicating by saying, hate your father, mother, brother, sister, wife, and children, and yes, even your own life. He's saying that you can love no one and no thing above him. He has to be the lover of your soul. And this is a teaching that Jesus has taught throughout his earthly ministry. Right? That you can't serve two masters because you're going to love one and hate the other. So Jesus is saying, if you're going to come to me, if you are going to accept my payment, then this is how you're going to have to live. It's a requirement. And that's why he says, if you don't do these to him above all else, the two great commandments, the first one, love the Lord your God with all of you, heart, mind, soul, with all your strength. That doesn't leave any room for and one B, 
Now, God got definitely one A, but one B, we're going to go with my wife, at least my children. Myself? I mean, come on. How do you expect me to not love myself more than I love God? No, if you don't love me more than any, anyone or anything else, not me. You read it here. I think it came up on the screen. Jesus says, verse 26, he cannot be my disciple. If you do not bear your own cross. Again, this is not just trying to paint a picture of, oh, a little, a little sacrifice. Remember the cross and what Jesus did on the cross. The cross is a tool for torture. And Jesus is painting this picture. It wouldn't have yet been a little replica as we've talked about in the past to bring hope because Jesus is no longer on the cross. No, when Jesus uses these words, the image that the cross paints is, like you mean a cross? Cross? Yes. If you do not bear your own cross, and other passages in Scripture encourage us the same way, deny yourself, crucify the flesh, you cannot be a disciple of Jesus Christ if you are not willing to sacrifice. The scriptures say if we're going to reign with him, then we also have to suffer with him. It says take up your own cross or you cannot be his disciple. Renounce all, everything for Jesus Christ. And I love the picture that Jesus paints to say you got to count up the cost. Count up the cost. Is it worth it? I mean, that's a lot. And I know we're, we're trying to chew off on a whole lot in a little bit of time. And it's a lot to process. But then we have to ask ourselves, count up the cost. Is it worth renouncing all to come to Christ so that he can be our ransom? Well, it's a good question. What's the alternative? What are you going to do? How good are you? Do you feel like you've been good enough today where you can stand before a holy God and say, I nailed it. I've done everything that you've asked, so you owe me heaven. And if not, then what's the price that I pay for not being able to atone for my sins? Separation. Being cut off from God. So either I'm going to accept that payment and be cut off. Or I'm going to come to Christ so that I might enter in by his payment and then follow him in the way that I live my life. Those are the choices that are before us. Come to Christ who paid the ransom for the life of any and everyone who would come after him or pay the ransom yourself. No one in this room, I believe in this hour, wants to pay the ransom themselves. So then, understanding that, there's only one right response. Love God more than every and anything else. Take up your cross. Deny yourself. That's what Jesus did. Look, Jesus is not asking anything from us that he wasn't willing to do himself. What Jesus is saying by speaking this to the, to the disciples is to follow me. Follow in my footsteps. The scriptures say that Christ emptied himself and humbled himself and died. So he's saying, take up your cross like I took up mine. And don't make yourself the most important person. Live for the purposes of God. So renounce everything because there's nothing else that can make the payment for you. 
And so we need to be captivated and reminded of the filthiness of sin and not to be able to pacify ourselves to think, oh, well, it's fine. It's not a big deal. Yes, it is a big deal. It's a huge deal. There's no little sin for God and a big sin. No, he's holy. It's pure. So even if you have a speck, that's why you got to read Leviticus, the sacrificial system. I mean, you couldn't even have a blemish on the lamb. So if you're not perfect, you can't pay. But the love and grace of God says you don't have to be perfect. He's not requiring it of you. He's saying, I'm perfect and I'm paying for you. Now all you need to do is follow my example. What do you think is worth holding on to that you would say, I can't renounce that, though? Be like the rich young ruler. I've done everything, but you want me to give up my riches? Okay, that's, uh, I guess, guess I'm just not going to be able to live for you. Anything? Anyone? No. Not if you've come to know Christ. So then the charge that we have today, if we are going to be those who are disciples, is that we have to make sure that God is the lover of our soul. I want to invite the praise team to come back up. As we continue on this journey, just real talk, because I don't want it to ever be a show where we come in, we're entertained by a full band, and maybe we have a great motivational speech and we can go out feeling good. Now, I'm okay with us going out feeling a little heavy, understanding the gravity of the situation and willing to make a right response to the Lord. And so every now and then we could find ourselves being distracted, and we probably couldn't say that I hate everything. And when you put my love for God in comparison to how I value everything else, it is abundantly clear that God above all. And now because of the love of God, God's love informs how I love my wife, how I love my children, how I love my mother, how I love my father, how I love my brother, how I love my sisters. But it's all informed by the love of God because he is worthy of worship, and he alone. Are there any, anything, is there anything that we've started to let creep up the ladder to start to draw the affections of our hearts to where maybe God is still number one, but there's a close second, maybe a 1B. Listen, it's not something that we need to just gradually do away with. No, we need to kill it, destroy it, don't let it consume you. Right? And it could be anything, anything that becomes a distraction. I know for me at one point it was football. Right? And that may be the case for a lot of us as we get ready to go into the season and now every, every Saturday, every Sunday, people might leave the gathering early or might not come at all because their team is playing. I'm sorry. What did your team pay for you? Oh, not only did they not pay anything for you, you're paying them. That didn't sound like my team. 
Jesus says, I have paid for you. Come and follow me. What do we need to take off the altar so that God is the only one that's worthy of our worship? Where we would be willing to sacrifice. It's a sacrifice, I get it. But I'm not going to go there because God wants me here. What is that for you? I know there are things, and let's, again, please be honest. It's always something vying for our attention, right? For anybody who knows how to drive, I've seen a lot of people don't know how to drive in Texas. That's fine. I'm I'm defensive driving. But every now and then, you get a little distracted, and you you swerve like, oh, whoa, hold on. Now they got these nice fancy cars where it beeps if you start to get too close to your left, right, or in front of you. Even stop for you. That's why you took it too far. I can press my own brake. But, I mean, they got these cars, right, that help you to know, oh, you're veering off. Oh, stay in. Stay in the line. Stay on the path. But we're driving, and we know we're driving, and somehow we got distracted. That happens in our lives. Are you distracted by anything? You're like, oh, 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 thank you. Thank you, Lord, for this word today because I needed that reminder that I can't lean on anything else to be the perfect payment for my sins. I need Jesus and Jesus alone. I need to let that go. I need to let it go. If there is anything, please, let's identify it today, and let's put it in its rightful place. Compared to God, you think I hated it because I'm not giving that my affection and my attention. I want to give us a couple of minutes to just go before the throne of grace, to take this to the Lord. A gracious God who would institute a process that would allow us to remain in right relationship with him. So you don't need to be overcome with guilt and shame on this morning. No. God knows our frame, but dust. He says, that's why I sent my son. And even in the Old Testament, God says, I know your frame. That's why I'm giving you this process annually to clean yourself. I'm giving you this opportunity to pay this ransom so that you can get right. Hey, so, so much grace. So let's come to this gracious God on this morning. And while we're doing that, I just want to remind you that Jesus paid it all. So he's not asking you to bring ransom money. He's not asking you to get a bull. He's asking you to surrender. And follow his lead. That's all that he wants from us today. So for the next few moments, you and Jesus, you know the things that may have been distractions. You know the things that you were starting to run after. Let's go to God and give that to him. And then I'll close out our time.